So my goal today is that you guys would leave here feeling good about yourself. I felt like the Lord um, started speaking to me a lot about you guys the past couple weeks. And it all started with the invite one. And so if you remember that Sunday when we were going to invite people, the Lord really started speaking to me a lot about each one of you. And so the goal today is to encourage you and to get you to see yourself maybe differently than you saw yourself before. So the title of today, I call it Enjoying Life While Testifying About Jesus. So enjoying life while testifying who Jesus is. So probably the number one scripture that I think about more than any other scripture in the Bible is uh, Revelation 19, verse 10. It says, The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So every single thing that I do or I hear, I think, is it testifying who Jesus is? Testifying who Jesus is is sharing what Jesus' heart is, what his emotions are, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's doing. So when, we, when I hear somebody talk about Jesus, or if I hear somebody talking, I'm always thinking, is it testifying about who Jesus is? Is there something I can learn about Jesus that I haven't seen before? And so think of that today while we're talking, is because a couple of weeks ago, when we had that invite one, we had the potluck, I want you to think about worship. So when we were worshiping, were we testifying who Jesus was? Probably. I think we could say, at, you know, usually when we worship together here as a church, we're testifying and singing about who Jesus is. So then Matt preached. Do you think Matt preached and testified about who Jesus was? Do you think he gave us some revelation about Jesus' heart? I think we can assume that he did, right? If we can remember, preach Jesus, like Jim's going to preach Jesus next week. What happened afterwards? We had the potluck, right? Did the workers of the potluck testify about who Jesus was? I would say they did. They cared for us. They served us. They thought of us first before themselves. You know, I was sitting down there. Luckily, I got to sit mostly with boys at the table. They were the uh, sixth graders, fifth, sixth grade boys. And basically, all they did was laugh and play jokes and talk to one another for about 45 minutes straight. And I'm sitting there listening to their conversations. And even though they're talking about Minecraft, they're testifying about who Jesus is because they were laughing and enjoying one another and uh, loving on each other. A lot of times we think we have to testify about who Jesus is as we have to say, in the name of Jesus. And in reality, our actions speak louder than words. So in the scripture, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, says, if you even give a cup of cold water to the least of my followers, surely you will be rewarded. 
You know, that is a really amazing statement that Jesus is making, saying that if you give somebody a cup of water in my name to somebody who follows me, I'm going to reward you. So think of all the people two weeks ago who served us that got a reward from heaven that we don't even think about. Did we think about the people who came early to clean the church? They served us. The people who washed the carpets, the people who set up the coffee shop, the people who tithe on a weekly or monthly basis so we can have electricity to be able to cook the food downstairs. Every single thing that we do is testifying about who Jesus is if our heart's in the right place. If we're thinking about Jesus and wanting to represent him well, the things and actions we do matter, and Jesus is telling us it matters. You know, in Matthew 25, uh, you know, that's the story when Jesus is there. I think it's Matthew 25. And, you know, he says, if you give, hey, you um, clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. And the, the disciples say to him, when did we ever do any of this? And he says, when you did it to the least of these who follow me, you did it to me. So Jesus is telling us that he wants us to think about when we serve one another, to think that we're doing it to him. Or why else would he tell us that that information? He wants our hearts and our, our minds and our spirits engaged with him, even when we're doing the, the, the smallest things possible. You know, when I, if I was thinking about what Jesus would reward me of doing, you know, I'd be like, okay, maybe he would reward me if I raised somebody from the dead. You know, maybe he would reward me if I was healing people in his name. You know, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't list any of these things that we would consider big accomplishments. He highlights the small things, giving somebody water, serving somebody who is hungry, if they're, if they're naked, you clothe them. The small things are the things that is on Jesus' heart. And on our hearts and minds, we rarely think of the small things we do. We rarely look inwardly and get excited about vacuuming the carpet. Right? So one thing, the first thing we have to do, the first step in enjoying life is loving yourself. The first step in enjoying life is loving yourself. Now, since you were born from, from birth, you have been taught to compare yourself to the people around you. You've been taught to compare yourself with grades. You've been uh, compared yourself with brothers and sisters, with cousins, with uncles, with all the different things your entire life, you have been created in America to compare yourself to somebody else. And then from Jesus's perspective, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible where he says, I want you to compare yourself to Matt. I want you to compare yourself to Paul the apostle. He doesn't say that. Why? Because we're each created differently. We each have different gifts. We have different abilities. He's given us different strengths and weaknesses. And we have to love ourselves 
And when we love ourselves, we find the gifts inside of us. So when we use them, it testifies about who Jesus is. So the question you need to be asking yourself is how do you grow in loving yourself? What are different steps you can take in your weekly journey to love yourself more? The first thing that I came up with is I focus on Jesus. So if I focus on Jesus and I focus on that he's perfect, have you guys, we all believe that Jesus is God, right? We all believe that he hasn't sinned, and we all believe that he's perfect. But then when we think of ourselves, we don't see ourselves as a perfect creation. We don't see ourselves that Jesus picked different gifts to give each one of us, and he did it perfectly. In John chapter 1, he talks about that. I better read it so I don't misquote it. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being. John chapter 1, verse 3. So he plans perfectly, he creates perfectly. And each one of us in this room have many gifts that would testify about who Jesus is that I don't have. You guys have gifts than the person next to you that is different because you're called to testify about a different characteristic or aspect about Jesus that the person around you doesn't have. Or Jesus would create us all equal. We would all look the same. We'd all have the same gifts. But he desires us to do different things and to look different than the person around us. Now, the, the next thing that you want to focus on to grow in love is focus on his desire. Focus on his desire for you. In Ephesians, it says that you are his inheritance. So I take that scripture and I say, Jesus, I am your inheritance. I want you to have every single thing in me that you desire. I am your bride. I want you to have all of me. I want to love you with all of my heart. When I think of the way then he desires me, it creates in me a burning love that wants to desire him. So one thing that you have to think about, how many of you guys have a family out of town that you visit occasionally? Have you, uh, maybe this just happens in my family. If it does in yours, I hope I'm not the only one. Usually you get excited. It's Christmas. You're going to go visit, you know, your family members. You show up. Day one's great. Everybody's talking. Day two's kind of good. By day three, the people around me, I'm ready to go home. You know, are kind of like on each other and just kids are fighting. And you're like, all right, I... I love you guys, but we're leaving now, okay? Jesus desires you so much that you are going to be with him forever. And he will never get bored of you. Think of that. He will never get bored of you. Just one of you. Jesus desires you so much and he put all these things inside of you that forever he's going to enjoy you. How many of you thought about that before? I would uh, encourage you to say that out loud for a week. 
You would say, Jesus, you are going to desire me forever. You are going to be fascinated by me forever. Because our minds can't even grasp eternity at all, right? We can barely think about what that actually means. But Jesus created us with a purpose so that we could be with him forever. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. That's why he rose again is because he wants you to be with him. And because of that, you bring something to him that the next person next to you doesn't bring. You are different than everybody else. And he desires each one of you in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. I know we all know it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and have not entered the human heart all that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even dream big enough of what eternity is going to be like. But so when I'm thinking of eternity, I start thinking about today. Because one thing that happens as believers is sometimes we get caught up in just doing the day-to-day life. We wake up, we take care of whatever we're doing, we go to work, we come home, we try to read the Bible, we pray maybe, and go to bed. And then we start doing that over an amount of time, it becomes just a routine, and we lose the aspect of touching Jesus. And so one thing that we need to keep in mind is that I believe God wants us to have fun on earth right now. I believe there's desires that he has given each one of you in this room that he wants you to do to embrace joy, to embrace happiness, to do things that would create joy in you as well as others. And when you do those, that's when you're testifying about who he is. Does that make sense? So, with that in mind, I want you guys just to turn real brief, quickly, to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. First Corinthians 12, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter where it's talking about people with many different gifts. God's given many different gifts. And he puts us all together into one body. And he says, do not compare the eye to the foot and the foot to the eye, to the finger, to the knee. That we're not supposed to compare each other with one another, but he has specifically chosen different gifts that you have that nobody else has. And so the question you have to ask is what gifts do you have? And I'm not talking just spiritual gifts. I'm talking about any kind of gift. What kind of uh, gifts did God give you that people around you might not have? So here's some questions that you might want to ask yourself to help you find what gifts God has given you. What do you enjoy doing? 
What do you enjoy doing? He created you to enjoy things. He puts you on the earth to enjoy him and enjoy his creation. Many times we think that Jesus put us here in prison and all we do is suffer and there's nothing great for us to do, so I'm just going to go along until I die and then maybe I'll get rewarded. No. Jesus created the earth so that you could have fun. He created the earth so that you would prosper. He created the earth because he desired you to do things. And so if you believe that he is perfect and that in everything he does is perfect, then when he created you, the gifts inside of you are perfect. So what do you enjoy doing? Because some people might enjoy fishing. Does anybody like fishing in here? Okay, there's some hands. Does anybody not enjoy fishing? Okay. The difference is, is people can go fishing and they are using the natural gifts and desires in their heart to fish. And sometimes we think of fishing as just of relaxation and it's not anything. I would bet that before Jesus, the person who desires to fish, when they go fish, they are worshiping Jesus because they're using the gifts that God has given them. They're using the desires God has given them, and he's excited because they're doing the things that he's put in them. Now, there always has to be a balance, right? Like, we can't just always do what we love to do. You know, we have to do things that maybe we're just supposed to do, right? Like, uh, an example would be Thursday night, my five-year-old wakes up, comes into bed and says, Dad, I don't feel good. I said, okay, lay here next to me. I fall back asleep. Within minutes, all I hear is her throwing up all over everything, and it's the smelly, chunky, just gross, warm throw up that you can just taste, right? And so... With that, I'm trying to pick up all the blankets and all the clothes, and she's crying. I'm trying to get a bowl, but I'm doing all those things. I'm not enjoying any of it, right? But because I'm serving in that way to my daughter, I believe before the Lord it's like the cold cup, that he sees the sacrifice, he sees the servant heart, that I don't do it in a grudging way, I do it in a way of, I want to help you, but I'm not enjoying this help. You know, does that make sense? Okay. Another question. What excites you? See, enjoying excites different. What excites you? What gets your heart and your emotions really going? When you think of, if I could do anything right now to be happy, what would I do? You know, for me, if I could be on a boat in the water right now, I would be so happy. That would be like the excitement of my heart. Each person is totally different on what excites them, but you need to know what excites you 
because God wants to excite you. He doesn't always want to restrain you from having fun. Now, here's another one. What do people say you're good at? In any area, what do people say you're good at? They might say, hey, you're a good writer. You're a good speaker. Wow, you knit well. What does God, what do people say that you're good at? Maybe they'll say you're good at mowing the yard. That is, uh, right. I, the mowing the yard to me is like death. I can't, there's very few things that are worse than mowing the yard. But I know certain people here at the church mow this yard and I've seen people on the lawnmower smiling. And when I see them smiling on the lawnmower, I look at them like they're crazy. I'm like, how can you be out here smiling with grass all over you, you're sweating, and there's bugs flying around, and you're smiling? Strange. Very strange. But that's, that, that's their gift that they're using to worship Jesus, testify about who Jesus is, and he's part of the body where I'm not gifted in that area. I can do mowing. I've done it before. I don't enjoy it, but I could still do it. But for them, they enjoy it, so let them enjoy it, and I'll enjoy something else that they don't want to do. Does that make sense? The more you're comfortable in saying what you love, the easier it's going to be for you to plug in to a church and into a body because you will know what gifts God has given you to serve him, but you're going to enjoy it. You know, when I thought of the potluck, I got anxiety thinking about trying to manage the food down there. Now, with Stacy, she could just come in and go... And everything's perfect, everybody's good, the food's good, there's a, a perfect way to, the food's lined up in a certain way, the desserts are over here. And I'm like, man, what a gift Stacy has in that area that I don't have, but without her, we would not have enjoyed the potluck as much as we did if somebody else did it, like me, who didn't know what they were doing, Right? So find those gifts that you're good at. Another question. What are you naturally gifted at? Some people are just naturally gifted. You know, I could naturally pick up a basketball and be good at basketball. That would be a natural gift. Now, I'm not sure how that helps the church, but when I shoot basketballs, I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about how amazing he is and how much fun I'm having. And even when I'm not thinking about him and I'm just thinking about trying to score, my worship is me doing the things he's equipped me to do. Does that make sense? So some of you may be really smart with reading, that you could just read and, enter, and um, comprehend things. That is a gift from God that I don't have. You know, I remember being in school my entire life where the smart kid would come in and say, I didn't study at all, and he'd get an A plus, 
and I would come in and study, and I'd get a C minus, and I'd be like, this is totally not fair. I'm like, I'm studying. They don't study at all. They get the better grade. And I was thinking about that this week, and I'm like, I feel like the Lord said that's from our perspective, but maybe from his perspective, I was faithful with what he gave me. And what he gave me was the, C, uh, the ability to get a C minus, and to him, that was me being faithful. It's a different, heaven's perspective is different than our perspective. So gifts you've learned. So an example of that would be like a mechanic, right? Like I have a friend who's a mechanic. He went to school to become a mechanic. His job is working on cars. And whenever I have a problem with a vehicle, I want to call him and text him and try to find out the answers. He uses his gift that he learned to help me. When he does that, it's worship before the Lord because he's faithful with the things that he's given him. I'm sure he doesn't enjoy me always calling and asking, hey, what is this? If the engine starts going, and then it goes clunk, clunk, you know, what do you think that is? You know, like I can tell in his mind that he's like, you gave me zero information, and I'm tired from working all week, and I don't want to think about engines, but I'll come over and help you. So that is the heart of a servant. That is the test. He's testifying about Jesus because he is putting away aside his thing to help me. Does that make sense? Now, when we read the Bible, um, we can interpret and imply different stories different ways, right? So I want you guys to think of the prodigal son. We're all very familiar with that story, right? The prodigal son is, the story is there is there a father who's really wealthy, lots of money. He has two sons. The younger son says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. The father says, okay. He gives his son the inheritance. That son goes out, uses it, spends it, wastes it, comes back to his father and says, Hey, can I be your servant? The father says, oh, he throws a coat over him, gets a calf in there, kills the calf, going to throw a party because his son returned, right? That's kind of like the story. The older brother comes in. Well, actually, he doesn't come in. He stays outside. And the father comes to him, and he says, you know, why did you kill the calf for my brother who wasted everything? and you've never thrown me a party with my friends. He uses that language. And the interesting thing is, is the father says, every single thing I have right now is yours. But right now we're going to celebrate your brother. Now, a lot of times we've heard different, uh, what that means in different stories of how people apply it. The way I want to apply it today is, imagine being the older brother Many times I think we act like the older brother, that we're doing the work. He was a hard worker. He stayed there when his brother wasted the stuff, and he's working for his father the whole time. But inside his heart, he wants to have a party. He wants to celebrate with his friends, but he never did. 
And the father's perspective is everything I have is yours. If you wanted to have a party, you should have had a party. I believe God thinks about that towards us a lot of times, is where he's given us different things to enjoy, and we decide not to do it. We hold back because we think it would be more righteous or be more holy for us to restrain from celebrating. You know, I was thinking about um, the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, there's at least, I'm sure I'll get corrected in here, at least seven different kinds of feasts that they are supposed to celebrate every year. And I was thinking about them like seven times. They are commanded seven times to have a party. Seven times to celebrate, eat, drink, party, think about, think about Yahweh, but they did it together seven times. That is a lot. I was trying to think about how many do we have. And I was like, maybe two. You know, like we say Christmas and we say Easter. You know, those are like the two times that we celebrate in a year God. But from God's perspective in the Old Testament, when he was writing out what to do and what not to do, he wanted his people to gather together and celebrate. Now, why is that? It's because he loves celebrating. He loves getting excited. He loves partying. He loves being around people. And he wants us to embrace that identity or that aspect of him more and more. And so I'm not saying that every single day and every single week should be a party. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of times when you're just doing the things that God has put before you to do, you get up, you go to work, you try to do your best, you love the people around you, and that's what you're asked to do. That is a huge thing before the Lord, that if you are faithful in that, he's saying, I see you do those small things, and I'm going to reward you. Now, some of the questions we should ask ourselves of what is the reward? When Jesus says over and over, I encourage you to read the New Testament, the Gospels, and highlight every time he talks about rewarding people. If you do that, you'll see that he uses that idea to give us encouragement to do right things, to step out in new ways, to look at ourselves differently than the way we or the world looks at ourselves. Another story that we sometimes, uh, well, I'll just say I was thinking about. I was thinking about the story of the 10 talents, right? So we all know that with the coins, master comes, he gives different coins to different people. He comes back and he's like, okay, who was faithful with what I gave you? It's basically what he said. And I was imagining this week standing before Jesus. And I'm standing before Jesus and Jesus brings up this parable to me. And he says, how much were you faithful with, with what I gave you? And I was thinking about it, you know, in this, whatever you want to call, uh, imagination encounter. I don't know how to explain it. And during this thing, Jesus says, okay, I gave you your wife. Are you enjoying your wife? Are you celebrating your wife? Are you serving your wife? Are you testifying to your wife who I am by your actions? 
And then the next question was, you know, then my kids. He named each one of the kids. Said the same questions. Are you testifying about who I am to them? Are you enjoying them? You know, a lot of times when we're around people for a long period of time, we lose the enjoyment part. We lose the excitement part. We lose the joy part, and we just become blah. We become boring. And it's because we allow the world and different things to kind of pull on our emotions to hinder us from reaching out and having joy and having fun. And so one of the things that he brought up was the church, Kairos. He said, are you excited about Kairos? Are you filled with joy when you're there? Do people meet me when they talk to you at the church? And I had to think about that. I was like, man, I don't know. I know sometimes I come in kind of grumpy, kind of tired. I'm not really that joyful. Sometimes I'm kind of down in different areas. And it wasn't like I was feeling condemnation, but it was more like correction. Like the Lord saying, hey, you need to have a different perspective on the things that I've given you because I've given you a lot of things and I want you to enjoy them. Imagine being the father and I'm giving a gift to my kid and I have this big present and they've wanted a power, you know, like one of those power wheel things. They wanted one. They've been talking about one. I bought it. I wrapped it. I put it before them, said, it's your birthday. Open up the present. And they sit there and say, I don't want to open it. What do you mean you don't want to open it? Well, you know, thank you for giving it to me. I'll enjoy it sometime in the future. I don't want to open it right now. As a, a dad, my feelings would be hurt, right? Like I, I want to see their expression when they open something that I've given them. I want to see the joy and excitement and love, and I want to feel it. Jesus is the same way. He wants us to love him and get excited about the things he's given us because he is the creator. He has given us gifts that are different than anybody else, and when we use our gifts, it testifies, it tells people about who Jesus is. I was at Walmart. You know, I have lots of Walmart stories. Just this last week, I was at Walmart. I was in a hurry, trying to get in and out. And this kid, this lady's in front of me at the checkout aisle. And, you know, it's like the self-checkout now, so now it even takes longer. And so she's checking out, and she drops something and all I did was go over and pick it up to her and hand it to her. She looked so shocked. She didn't know what to say at first. I think she thought I was trying to steal it. She was like, whoa. And then she said, thank you. And then she said, God bless. And I could tell by making eye contact with her that she was a believer. And I, I, and I just smiled and I just went on my way. But my point is, is those little interactions with people People can feel different when you're around them than when you're not. And when you choose to do things for people, you're doing it for Jesus. And when you think about that, it makes it easier for you to do the things that you don't want to do. Amen? Okay, I think I'm kind of done. <laughs> so I'll pray for us. We'll get out a little early today. Uh, 
Okay, homework. Your homework. is to ask Jesus how much he loves you. That's your homework. Ask him how much you love you. But I would encourage you to do the eternal thing. Ask God to speak to you about eternity. Most of us don't think about that very often. And when you do, you'll be shocked about how much your heart gets excited about the things that God is going to do with you forever. You have a word, Jim? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Just encourage you just to uh, put out your hands. Jesus, I just thank you that you are the creator. Lord, I thank you that you're perfect. I thank you that you chose us. You chose us to create us, to give us gifts. Lord, I ask you that you would encourage every single person in this room throughout this next week, that they would feel what you feel in them, that they would see the gifts that they forgot about, that they would see the talents that you've given them, and that they would enjoy the things that you've put before them, that you've put in them. Lord, I ask you to set our eyes on eternity, that we would dream and think of all the things that we're going to do with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.